0: I already asked you the question, um, how would you define or, or, or what is a good pastor? Uh, most of you would have some type of answer for that. And you would probably answer that in one of two ways. You'd, be, you'd probably answer it based on first past experience. That is that you might look to a pastor that you knew at one time, maybe growing up that had a huge impact in your life. And you might look back at that individual because of the impact they made on you and, and say to yourself, that is a good pastor pastor. Or it may be that you don't look to the past experience, but rather you look at the present need that you have right now. For example, if if somebody is here and they're struggling with their marriage or they're struggling with their finances or whatever it is, and and, and a pastor is somebody who's going to help them through that difficulty. Maybe it's somebody who has lost a loved one, and, um, and, and their, 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 their hearts are they're grieving, and, and, they're, and they don't know what to do, and a pastor is just simply there with them, and then he walks them through that grieving process. For an individual who might be grieving, that is ultimately for them in the present what would make a good pastor. But even though we define a good pastor in different ways, whether through our past experience or whether through our present need, there's probably one way we ought to be defining what a good pastor is, and that is through what? The the Word of God, right? God is the one who has basically created the office of the pastor, and because he's created it, he should be the one who defines uh, how it should look, how a pastor should Pastor and shepherd the people In the book of Ephesians chapter four and verse eleven Paul wrote he said that God had given the pastors as a gift to the church. So when one day a woman came up to me and said to me in essence hey listen um, uh, you just I've got a problem with you and you just think you're God's gift to the church I said well as a matter of fact yes in Ephesians chapter four verse eleven uh, I am now whether that's a good gift or bad gift you know God has to ultimately decide that but. But God, because he's created this position, this, this role of a pastor, then he's the only one that can tell us what it's supposed to look like and what it means to be a good pastor. And this is what he does in this particular text. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a, a, a picture to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. And he says, hey, man, you want to be a good pastor? This is what it looks like. And he kind of gives us three aspects of what it means to be a pastor a good pastor. Number one, here, here it is. First of all, he's, we, he draws attention to the good pastor's teaching, to the good pastor's teaching. Now, notice verse six, if you will. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. When he uses that phrase, put these things, the th- these things that he's referring to are, are the verses he, he just shared just right before verse six. At the beginning of, of chapter four, he, he's referring to his teaching on false teachers and identifying them and what their false teaching looks like. But certainly he's encompassing everything that he's written in this book from chapter one and verse one. He tells Timothy, hey, you wanna be a good pastor? Then what I want you to do is I want you to take what it is that you've received from me and I want you to put it before the brothers. Put it before the brothers. He's talking about teaching. He says, you need to take what you have received and just lay it out, place it very clearly before the congregation God's body. And he goes, and if you do that, what will happen? He says that you will, be a, a good, uh, uh, you will be a good and faithful servant of God. But notice this. He doesn't just say it there. He gives two more commands. In verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to what? And to teaching. So the one primary thing that a pastor has to do above everything else is they have to teach. A good friend of mine here recently is a seminary uh, graduate, and, uh, but he, he didn't go into full-time ministry. He's, he's, a, he's a servant in a local church, and, and he was talking with me about how their church had begin to grow, and they really wanted to reach lost people. And I said, man, that's fantastic. He goes, it is fantastic, but it's beginning to kind of wear on me a little bit. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he says, because our pastor who who teaches so well is beginning to shrink all of his teaching. He's not teaching as much. In order to reach lost people, we're spending more time with music, more time with videos, more time with drama to try to draw people to the church and he's not teaching as much. And I told him, I said, well, have you gone to your pastor in love I'm emphasizing in love and humility to talk to him about this. See, I'm trying to protect myself. Uh, but, but in love and humility, did you go to him and, and basically say, hey, uh, um, listen, I, I, really, I, I really need to be fed on Sunday mornings? He goes, I did. And I said, well, how did he respond to that? He goes, not well. I said, what did he say? He goes, you've got a responsibility to feed yourself. I've got a responsibility to reach lost people. And before you amen that, please don't amen that. Um, let me just say a couple things. There's two things that are good with that and one giant gleaming missing error. And that is, yes, it's your responsibility as believers of Jesus Christ. You can amen this part to feed yourself throughout the week. Amen. Uh, all three. the Good. All right. Well, at least we're on, on the same page. I'll take it. Um, to feed yourself. But then it's also a pastor's responsibility to reach the lost or to seek to reach the lost just like it is for every believer in Christ. Amen. However, the problem is, is he's missing a huge part in the primary thing that God has called him to, and he is indeed to feed the sheep. Do you remember in, in John, in the book of John, when, when Jesus resurrects, you know, and he comes, comes back to life, and he takes 40 days, he's walking around, and there he is, Jesus and his disciples on the beach, and they're, they're, they're grilling fish out, you know, just he and the boys hanging out. I mean, remember, this is a resurrected Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, and he's you know he's like well, yeah yeah I love you Jesus absolutely, and he goes but Peter do you love me? And he says yes yes I love you. He's getting a little bit impatient at this point. And he says Peter do you love me? And he says he says he says Jesus you you know that I love you. And then how does Jesus answer this? He says I want you to show me that you love me by what by feeding my sheep feed my sheep. He says pastor if you love me then the way that you demonstrate your love for me is to. Teach God's people. You need to teach them. You need to teach them faithfully. And he says to him, he, he says there, he says, and you will, if you do this, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I love the fact that he said, this, he didn't say this will make you a good pastor. Even though that's under the whole umbrella, that's what he's talking about. I love that he uses the word for a deacon there. He says, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ because it's a reminder to every pastor and to every congregant what the pastor is supposed to be doing. He's not supposed to be having the people serve him. He's supposed to be a servant of the people. He is supposed to serve them. And how does he serve them? He serves them in his, in his diligent study and, and, and teaching and being faithful to, to teach uh, those who come on a weekly basis, to teach them and to be faithful into doing this very thing. And he says, And if you do that, you will be and ultimately a good servant. But here's the question He's to teach. And I don't want to be, I think the problem with this message today is it might be overly simplified. But it's the basics that we have got to get back to. And and here's a simple question, but I don't think it's being answered correctly by by many. And that is, what is it that he is supposed to be teaching? What is the pastor, when he gets up in front of a group of people, what is it that he is supposed to be teaching? And, and, And he tells us right here, he is to be teaching, say it with me, the word, right? The word of God. Are we all on board with that? I think for the most part, I hope we are. That's what he means when he says these things. When he says to, to, to put these things before the people, he's talking about what he has received to him through the word of God, the stuff that he has already written down. That's what the pastor is supposed to be giving to the people is what he's supposed to be preaching. In verse seven, notice this. It says, Paul told Timothy that he should have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. This is so important. And if there's any preachers that are gonna hear this message, I want them to hear this and I want you to hear this. When a man of God begins to preach and to teach, he must preach the word of God. He's not to use the word of God as a, a launching pad into a bunch of other things that are outside of the word of God that he wants to cover and he ultimately wants to talk about. See, when he says here and he talks about these, these, these silly myths, he's referring back to chapter 1 in verse 4. And chapter 1 in verse 4, if you remember, and I, I hope you remember this, uh, you know you don't remember this so let me explain it again back in chapter four in uh, or chapter one in verse four they were talking about these false teachers that were in the church guess what they were pastors they were elders in the church and they were teaching and he says that they were teaching all kinds of silly myths and that's what he's referring to here again and in, what he was saying is that these men would go to the old testament they'd find these really long genealogies you know those genealogies that you just skip over Admit it, all right, because they have all these names that you can't pronounce. And what they would do is they'd find one of these names and then they would begin to speculate about who they are, about what they did, of what influence they had in the lives of other people, and it was all speculation. But guess what the problem was? It wasn't the word of God. And so for most of the time, they were using a little bit of the word, but they were spending the majority of their time outside of the text of scripture. Look, there is a difference between preaching good stuff and God stuff. Do you know the difference between that? There are a lot of good stuff that I could be preaching on this morning, and some of you might really, really like it. Like if I were to sit there and say, man, I'm going to teach you five ways to demonstrate your love towards your wife. The ladies would be like, preach it, right? And and if I were to get up and say, and I'm going to teach you five ways to teach your toddler to, 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 um, to, to use the big potty, people would be like, yes, I've been looking for this. He's like 16, and we're still working on this, right? Please give us, this is good stuff. And what I would say to you is there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Is there? Nothing wrong. It can actually be helpful. If you need help with the potty thing, go, go to my wife and a lot of other women. They've got a lot of experience in, in this particular area. There's nothing wrong with it. Here's the problem. It's just not what we're commanded to do. What we're commanded to do is to preach the text of scripture. I want to say this, because I understand even this text this morning that some of you have come and you look at a text like this and you think, what's the immediate application? How does this apply to me? We've got to come to the point that we understand that All of the word of God is profitable. Every single bit of it. And this is God's word. And when we jump into the God's word, sometimes it takes some discipline, not only on the preacher, but also on the hearer to be able to sit there and to be able to work through this text and to know what it is that God is speaking. Because the the conviction of mine, and I hope it's the conviction of yours, is that when we get it right, When we get the word of God right and when we're proclaiming it correctly, re-oralizing the text of scripture, and when we get it right, according to the authorial and text in which it was originally written by its author and by its heavenly author, then guess what? God is speaking. God is speaking. And he wouldn't say anything in that moment, any more or any less than what was being preached at that moment. That's why the text of scripture is so important. And that's why God has called a man of God to be able to preach the word of God. Let me, let, me, let me give you a hint. Whenever a preacher is spending more time teaching information that comes from outside of the word of God that he does directly from the word. Now, that doesn't mean not referencing authors, referencing history, referencing those things. But when the bulk of his time is spent out of the text of Scripture rather than within the text of Scripture, he's taking liberties. He simply has not been given by God. The only authority that a preacher has is to stick with the text is to stick with it, is to be able to, to preach it. But here's the bottom line. I think, it, 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 and look at what he says in verse 14. In verse 14, he alludes that if he doesn't do this, if he's not preaching the text of scripture, if he's not being faithful to teach the word of God, then not only is he failing in his calling, but he's also failing in, in his giftedness, to apply his giftedness. Uh, but look at verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. He, he's speaking of the gift of teaching and preaching. If God calls a preacher, remember the one uh, aspect that he has to do. He must be able to teach and to defend the faith. We learn that in the qualifications for an elder. Well, he's got to be able to preach it. He's got to be equipped to do it. And if he doesn't preach it, neither is he being obedient to his calling or is he practicing the gift of teaching that God has given him to be able to edify it and to be able to build up the church. So he's got to preach the word. But let's be honest. He can't preach the word unless he what? Knows the word. He's got to know the word of God. Now, it's hard for somebody to preach something that they know absolutely nothing about. Have you ever done that? I do that all the time with the children, right? They're like, how do you put this together? How do you fix this? Listen, I can't fix anything. You need to understand that. If it comes, it's kind of like at our house, we don't have dad's tools. We have my wife's tools, all right? That's, that's how it works. They're like, hey, daddy, can you fix this? But my children think that I can, and that's awesome, right? And so I sit there and they go, daddy, don't worry. Daddy can fix this. Don't worry, mama. And they bring it to me and it's like, in, it's in shambles. And I'm like, honey, I think that we can fix this. Don't you worry about it. Daddy's going to take it. Just go away for a little while. Honey, can you help me with this? And so, uh, and, and so we just kind of put it together. But sometimes it's hard to teach something that you don't know how to do yourself. So if he's going to teach the word of God, he must know the word of God. And Paul demonstrates here that Timothy was a man who knew the word. And he knew it for two specifically different ways. Notice that next phrase. He says, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Let me break that up for you just a little bit. I think that first part when he says being trained in the words of the faith, I think that's a reference to his upbringing with his mom. His grandmother was Lois, his, his mother was Eunice. And we know from Timothy that he raised up, and his father was lost, but his, his mom and dad, or his, his mom and his grandmother were God fears. And he was introduced first to the word of God and to the attributes of God and to the person of God and what it is that uh, God's will, all by mom and grandma. Let me just say this. Moms, do not ever underestimate the impact that you have on your children in taking them and teaching them the very simple things of God that are forever true that He loves them, that He cares for them, that He has a will for them, always pouring that in. And that made an impact, so much of an impact that Paul recognizes that that was a part of this future preacher's training. That's pretty intense. And then not only there, but I think it's also his continued training. He says, being trained in the words of the faith. And the reason why I said trained, because that word trained means nourished, which means it speaks of, of a child who is being nourished from his mother's milk. And so that's why I think that he's talking about his mom and his grandmother. But secondly, he went beyond that. And if you, if you look at the scriptures there, he talks about the idea of, of specifically the idea of, of being trained in the doctrine, in the good doctrine. And that would have been that he went beyond those basic things. Look very carefully. Mom, wonderful, awesome. Learn everything she has to teach you. But we have to move beyond that to deeper things of the word of God if we're going to be faithful in teaching it. So he had training, and he trained underneath the apostle Paul. So he's training under those doctrines. But here's the most important thing that he says about it. He says that you have followed. Literally, you could translate that sentence, what you yourself have really digested. Let me tell you something, I I wanna thank every one of you this morning for allowing me to be your pastor. Because the time that I have to go into uh, the study each week, hours and hours and hours upon study has been the key to my sanctification. And what I realize is when I'm in that study, I'm not looking for a sermon. I'm not sitting there going, oh no, time is coming. I've I've gotta look for a sermon, so let me study God's word. What I've learned to do by your grace and by the mercy of God, you being gracious people, As I study the word of God, therefore I preach. I've gone into the word of God and I get to study and that gets to work in me and it gets to change me and I begin to understand what God is saying and then I have the privilege to be able to come and just to me, preaching is more of just a testimony of this is what God has said and this is how it's impacted me. How now will it impact you? There's an aspect of that preaching that is coming apart and this is who he was. Preaching and teaching, let me say this, are hard work. Now you guys know you've been here, if you've been here for any period of time you know that I'm not the bright, brightest guy in the world. All right, you you know that. For some reason sometimes people think I am. Let me remove all doubt. I am not very bright, all right? I would never allow you to know my SAT score ever. Ever, all right? I, I, I will die with that secret, okay? I mean, it is so bad. They're like, hey, did you get up in the thousands? <laughs> Does it go that high? That's what I would think, right? And so, so just not very bright with that. Not a really good memory. A lot of people, I mean, they just quote everything. It's like I grew up with genius people around me, all right? Even my best friends, they're geniuses. And I'm just sitting there, always feel like the guy that's like coming up from the back, you know, going, yeah, uh, that's good. And they go, hey, I read that book yesterday. I go, yesterday? You read the book Yesterday? Like in one day, in one sitting, you read the book? And they're like, yeah, do you remember on page 137? I said, get away from me, I hate you, get out on that. (laughs) Yeah, just back up. But here's what I do understand, and it may be, I'm just saying that to premise the fact that that might be the reason why it takes me so long to put sermons together. But I think for anybody, even a genius, it takes an immense amount of time to be able to sit down and truly try to get at the root of what God is saying. I'm not talking about just coming each week and be able to just give nice, nice little words of encouragement and application, something that people are going to feel better. I don't know about you, but I want to know what God means by these things. And what does he want us to do? And how does he want us to grow in our faith based on what the true teaching of the word of God is. And that takes an immense amount of time. Look at verse 15. He says that you are to practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. And the verb tense is there. It doesn't mean just practice it, just don't practice it for a while. Practice it and continue to practice. Keep studying the Word of God. Keep knowing, keep growing in your knowledge of the Word of God. And what I love is, he says, so that all may see your progress. I struggled with this sentence for a while, because I think what he's saying there is, you don't see the progress in a preacher so much in the fact that he's becoming more knowledgeable, more knowledgeable, I don't think that's what he was talking about, or that he becomes a better preacher. I don't think that's the progress of what he's saying. Do you know where you see the progress of, uh, of the hard work uh, in the study week after week, month after month? Do you know where you see it? In the congregation. I grew up kind of in a, in a, in a spiritual milieu, in an environment, which basically we always look for instantaneous change, instantaneous decisions, Right? Now, let me say this. I do believe when God saves you, he instantaneously radically changes you, amen? I don't think that you're partially saved here, then you get a little more saved, and then finally you know, he puts you over the top. I mean, you are saved, you are a different person. But one of the things that I know more than anything as pastoring, pastoring this church for over 12 years is that it takes a long time to see true change amongst the congregation. And it takes week in, week out, month after month, year after year of the preaching of the word of god and what is so encouraging and the pastor in his preaching if he's doing it right you begin to see the people in that congregation looking more and more like jesus christ this is what he is ultimately called to so let me give you two simple applications for this first of all a good pastor must preach the word of god this is what it tells me what it tells me is i'm not the cook i'm the waiter i'm just the waiter all right I'm not the one who's supposed to come up with all this stuff of what to ultimately say. All I'm going to do is take what it is that, they, that God gives me, and I'm going to put it before you, all right? And, and now I need to serve it hot, and I need to serve it quick, but I don't sit there and I don't mess with it, right? And say, well, there's some things I don't think these people are going to like. Let me go ahead and pull this out. That would be disgusting, Right? He comes up and say, hey, I picked through your stuff. I just figured that you might like this. It might be a little bit more palatable. You don't do that. What do you do? You just serve it. And you know why that's so encouraging to me? It's, it encourages me so often times. So at the end of this message, I don't have to walk away going, do they like it? Do they like it? Uh, do, 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 do they even agree with it? For a pastor, he doesn't have to do that. You know what he has to do? He has to pay, put these things and he lays it before the people. You decide whether you like the word of God. And here's the thing, as e- and even if you're going to eat it, there are many times that you preach a word of God and people are very upset and they get angry and they sit there and you could tell. I mean, they're so angry. You're like, dude, it's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God. You know, just go, go after him, don't go after me. But that's what we're doing. We're laying it before and you are the one that have to receive it. Why is this important for you? It's important for you because even though a pastor is to be studying the word of God and knowing it and making sure that his mind is saturated with it and keep going and keep studying, guess what needs to happen? You need to be doing the same. You need to be doing the same And one sometimes when you share the gospel of jesus christ with other people there are going to be some people that don't like what it is that you are trying to deliver but it's not you who is it it's the word of god you deliver it so first thing is a a good pastor must preach the word of god second thing very easy a good congregation should demand that nothing but the word of god be preached did you hear that You, you should be doing the same exact thing And there's a lot of stuff that is being taught in different but it's not focusing specifically on the word of God. One of my favorite passages of scripture is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the the people had just come, they had been dispersed, they come back to Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding uh, the walls there during the time of Nehemiah. And and I love it because in in chapter 8 and verse 1, they all gather together, listen to this, and he says, and the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate and they, took Ezra, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded to Israel. Get this. Here's what's going on. They all gather together. The whole congregation gathers. The preacher man comes out, and here's what they're shouting. Bring out the book. Give us, the book. I praise God that this is the kind of church that I get a pastor every week where they sit there and go, hey, listen, funny stories, all that's good, good illustration, glad that you quoted this uh, dead guy over here, not real interested, but what I want you to do is bring out the book, amen? So you hold me accountable, but you are held accountable when you come in and sit there and say, I want nothing but what the word of God says. So a good pastor, what does he do? It's good pastor's teaching. Second, a good pastor's living. Paul is saying that a pastor must ultimately practice what he preaches. Look at verse 12. Now, I know a lot of people make this about youth, and this is a great youth sermon and all that type of stuff, but the truth is the guy was in his early to late 30s. He wasn't like a child that was preaching, but, but they were looking down on his youth, and he was a timid guy, no doubt. But listen to what he says in verse 12, let no one despise but despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You know what Paul is ultimately saying? He's saying you need to practice what you preach. As a pastor, a good pastor, he's not only calling the people to what the word of God says, he must live it out the best that he possibly can through the power of the word of God. He must constantly be changing. Now, how do we do that? Well, he says, look at the next sentence, go back up. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Now the word godliness there is, is, is found 15 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times is found right here in this book. So this is something that Paul is really trying to drive home, this idea of godliness. Godliness, what is it? Let me just give you a simple understanding of it. Godliness is simply the fact that whatever you do, and I mean whatever you do, whether you walk, whether you talk, whether you run, whether you work, whether you play, whether you eat, whatever it is, that you do all in light of a healthy fear and holy fear of God and a love for God. That is, he is a part of every decision that you make, that you're keeping him in mind in everything you do and every decision that you make inside of your life. That's godliness. Let me back up just for a second. Paul, right before this, at the end of chapter three, talked about the secret of godliness. And what he did was this, he said, that here's the secret of godliness. Remember, after the fall, Adam and Eve, when they fell, mankind knew they were lost, they knew they were fallen, and they begin to try to work their way back into the good graces of God. God provides them the law as ultimately a tutor to show them, hey, if you keep these laws, you will be able to be godly, you'll be able to be holy, you'll be able to be reconciled with me. But what do they end up finding out at the end of the Old Testament? No way to keep these laws. So they realize that they can't be united and can't become godly through their own works. What they find with the coming of Jesus Christ is they can only be made right, holy, and godly through the work of God on their behalf by sending their son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for those who would repent and believe they would become godly. So God creates us inside to be godly. But How many of you know that godliness has to be worked out? Philippians, right? The, the teaching of Philippians chapter two, he tells us that what God is working in, we ultimately have to work out. And how do we do that? How do we work it out? We do it through, through training. And that training is spiritual disciplines. We do it by you and I committing ourselves to prayer, to the study of God's word, to fasting, the serving on a, on, a, on a continual basis of giving, these are the things that the reformers, at least some of them, uh, would say that some of the things that I just mentioned are what they refer to as the means of grace, like the preaching of the word of God, the breaking of bread together, meaning this, that God uses those things to grow you and I into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, you could do all those things, but if you don't have Christ in you, it does no good. You're just doing those things to try to receive, uh, re- receive the acceptance of God. And he says, but if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, the way you grow is through the discipline and training of prayer and being in the word and serving one another and giving on a consistent basis. And the Holy Spirit uses these things to change you into the image and the likeness of Christ. In verse 8, he says this, trying to emphasize how valuable this is. He wants to emphasize how important the spiritual uh, disciplines are. And look at verse 8. He says, for while bodily training is of some value. Stop right there. I pray that this little phrase is not your life verse. Okay. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. And uh, it's not your life first. And here's why. Because so, I, I just hope you're not the guy when, the, when, when your wife comes, and you go, honey, we really need to start moving. You know, our arms like it, it fell off. And so we, we have to move it. They said, move it or lose it. And, 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 and we need to go out for a walk. And, and I hope that you're not quoting this per, first part of the verse and go, honey, sorry, Paul said that this is a very little value at all for us at all. Insert donut in mouth, right? That we, we, that's, that's not it. What, what he's saying is he says it does, have, it does have value, some value. Do you guys understand physical fitness, eating right, does have some value? Am I talking? Just keep moving. This is by faith. Just preach it anyway. All right, by, by faith. It does have, oh, thank, thank you, brother. The, the runner, the runner in the place says, yeah, keep preaching. it." So, so here, here's the idea. So it does have some value. Why? Because we are stewards of the body in which God has given us. Uh, that we, you have one body from the la- from the best that I know, and you need to do, and you need to be able to treat it, and we need to eat, and we need to be able to stay healthy. Why? Because the only way you can ultimately serve sick people is to make sure that you're not sick. The only way we could do what God has called us to do is to take the gospel throughout the whole known world is to make sure that you and I have the energy to get across the world. Some of us don't have the energy to cross the street, right? And so he says, look, there's value in this. Here's the problem. He's making the point because... This has been overemphasized in the culture that they were. In the culture that they were, they were all about bodies like mine and um, an, extreme, an extreme physical fitness. Quit looking at me. And so extreme physical, I did it myself. All right, physical fitness, <laughs> sucking stomach, and physical fitness, right? And so they're all about this, and he's sitting there going, you are putting way too much time. You are putting way too much energy on these physical things. Why? Because they only have some value. The moment that you die, all of that carb counting and miles and push-ups, do you no good anymore? Where you need to put your time is that which is ultimately lasting. And What does he say? He tells us through the scriptures, he says, he says all that training, godliness, that is disciplining yourself to pray, studying the word of God, giving, serving, is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What do we do? You and I. Look, it's not just a believer. A believer, he says, look, you need to live out what it is that you're doing. You do what you're preaching. You do that through these spiritual disciplines. But let me ask you, does anybody here think he's only speaking to preachers? Every one of us. How are you doing with that? How are you doing in your study of the word of God? How are you doing in prayer? every day. How are you doing consistently in your giving? How are you doing in these particular areas? What kind of grade would you give? And you know what I think Someone let me caution you with this. Some would be like, hey man, I'm really good at praying, dude. I get an A in that, but I'm just not so good at studying the Word of God. Anybody like that here? Or I'm really good at studying, but I really struggle in prayer. Let me warn you with that, because I hear that a lot. Some people go, hey man, uh, I'm really good at serving, but not real good at the giving, or great at giving, but not really serving. God wants us to be well-rounded in our health, does he not? It's kind of like, have you ever been to a gym? Don't don't answer that. Have you ever been to a gym? You go, because I understand what the answer is after you know the physical health talk we've had, but you go into the gym and you will find a guy that's in every gym. He is monstrous from here up. Monstrous. I mean, he is just, I mean, he is Hulk Hogan, he is the Hulk. He is, all of these guys all, roll, all rolled up into one, and you're like, dude, that guy is unbelievable. And he wears these baggy sweatpants. And the reason that he wa- wears these baggy sweatpants is because underneath those sweatpants are flamingo legs. All right, that's what he's got. And if, if you were to see him, it would be like a bird just kind of just doing, doing this thing across. He's got this huge upper body. What, what God is calling you to do is you may be faithful in certain areas, but God wants us to be well-rounded in all these things. Study of the word of God. Are you in the word of God each and every day? Are you praying consistently every day? Are you giving consistently? Are you serving consistently? He says, why? Not, it's not going to make God love you anymore, but what it's going to do is God's going to use those as a means to grace to change you more and more in the image and likeness of Christ. He's gonna, these are ways that he will continue to exchange, or, or extend his grace to you and ultimately to me. And this is, this is the idea. He sits there and he says, look, there's just limited value in all of this. But where we need to face, where the pastor needs to focus his attention on are these spiritual disciplines. Now, why is all this? Look at verse 10. I'm going to finish up with this. And everyone said amen. Verse 10 and verse 16, two of the most difficult passages, but I'm just going to sum it up for you uh, here. Look at verse 10. This is why. This is the good pastor's task. By the way, this is your task as well. The reason that he's preaching the word and being faithful, and then he's also living out and training himself through the spiritual disciplines is for this very reason. Look at verse 10. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. The reason we're doing it is because we know that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is going to come again. Amen? Do we agree with that? And I don't know about you, but I want to be found Faithful. I may be one talent that he's given me, but I don't want to bury it. I want to use it for the glory of God. And what do we do when we use our gifts and abilities? He says there, he says, for, he says who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe? He's not talking about universalism because Paul doesn't teach universalism. But what we'll find is he's talking about this. He says, when you, when you are preaching the word and when you are living out the word and those things come together, it's a sweet spot. You know what that sweet spot is? It makes your witness irresistible. You know as well as I do, if you and I just go around and we begin to just tell people the gospel and everything, but we're living a life completely inconsistent with the gospel, people recognize what that is. They want nothing to do with it. If a person sits around and some people say, well, that's why I don't share my faith. I just try to live it out. Yeah, and that's why people end up converting to, 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 to uh, uh, what, what, some other religion because they don't know that the hope that's in you is because of Jesus Christ. The way that you're living is not because you're a Hindu. You are living the way you are because you hope that you have in Christ. When you and I are teaching very clearly the word of God and we encompass that with the living of the gospel and living that out, That's when we begin to see more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 16, he says it this way, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Again, he says saving yourself, but in context, here's what he means. It means that as we continue to persevere, this is the teaching of the church, not once saved, always saved. Let let me explain that. That's not really once saved, always saved, unless you are truly born again. If you're truly born again, nobody can snatch you out of the Father. You truly are born again forever. The actual teaching of the church historically has not been that wording. It's been the perseverance of the saints. That is for those who continue in the faith until the end can be secure that their salvation will be completed in Jesus Christ in the day in which he comes. That's what he means by saving himself. But then when he talks about saving others, we can't save anyone else. But once again, we believe that the preaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners and those that repent and place their faith in him will indeed be born again. When we proclaim that and not only are we saying it, but we're living now and we see the evidence of your life and my life change in the image of likeness of Christ, that's when things really begin to happen. So let me ask you, how are you doing with this? I'm gonna ask our brother to come. You come. How, how, how are you doing with this? Men, are you in the word of God? Are you praying for your children? Are you learning each day in each week in each month? And here's here's what breaks my heart. I just I, I gotta tell you, I, I wonder how many times the scripture brings us back to the same point. And here it's explicit, not only for pastors, but for all believers in Jesus Christ, that this ultimately is required. And it sounds mad because once again, there are some of you who are sitting here today and you're like, well, maybe one day I'll start to study or yeah, I need to, or yeah, I feel good. What is keeping you from taking part in these spiritual disciplines? What I want you to do today is by your grace, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to sit there and sit back and go, God, I know that one day you are coming and I wanna be a part of the task that you've given us. Uh, So I'm committing myself today to teach the truth of God's word, which means I must be in it and to practice these spiritual disciplines that are found within the word of God so I can be a part of what it is that you're doing in the world around us. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we love you, we thank you. God, I thank you for all who here.